A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Eric Haro, lead engineer of the data platform at H&M. To be clear, Eric was only representing his own views and perspectives. So here are 13 of my key thoughts slash takeaways from Eric's point of view. Number one, data mesh can work well with a product-centric organization strategy as both look to put ownership and product thinking in the hands of the domains. Number two, to develop a good data slash enablement platform for Data Mesh, look to work with a number of different types of teams. That way you can see the persistent and reusable patterns and capabilities to find ways to reduce friction for future data product development and deployment and management. Number three, H&M had an existing cloud data lake that was and, and is working relatively well for existing use cases, but the team knew it wouldn't be able to handle where they wanted to go with many more teams producing data products of much higher quality and potentially sophistication. Number four, when implementing data mesh or really any data initiative, it is easy to fall into the trap of doing things the same way you did them before. The quote unquote old way feels safe and it was slash is working relatively well for H&M. So they treated their data mesh implementation as almost a greenfield deploy to prevent themselves from just kind of basically evolving slightly what they were doing with data instead of really thinking through where they want to go in the long run. Number five, because of the long-term focus on making it low friction and scalable to share data, 
the consumers will come as you make them more data literate. Most of the early data slash enablement platform work has been focused on helping data producers, a common pattern in data mesh, but your constraints and needs may not match this. So this is something to look for and really say, is this something we should do? But it's, it's an emerging pattern. Number six, Eric's team is focused on enabling data producers first, specifically so his team doesn't become a bottleneck. It is easy for a platform team doing any part of the individual work to become that bottleneck. Number seven, consider how much organizational change you require before starting to create mesh data products. H&M did a large amount of that organizational change. Other companies start in their current structure and evolve as they learn more. Both are valid and can work well, but you should really think through how much change should we do upfront if we're going to be doing data mesh? Number eight, specific to H&M, a strong track record of good return on investment in AI meant there was less pushback than in many organizations when they started to try, drive their buy-in for implementing data mesh. They had seen that you can do what some people think of as very complicated in such a way that they have a high return and that it they really made it something that was achievable. And so they're looking at the same with data mesh. Number nine, in the historical data warehouse world, there was less need for data literacy because most people were pushed reports, but also couldn't really do much, thus not, quote unquote, getting themselves in trouble. If we move to a more self-serve approach, that means we need much better data literacy. It can be a big risk to allow access without understanding to data. Otherwise, it could be like turning a six-year-old loose in a fully stocked kitchen where they intend to, quote unquote, make dinner. How's that going to go? You really want to make sure that they can understand how to use data appropriately and safely when making decisions. Number 10, Data catalogs could really help push forward general data practices, but we still need to have actual conversations too. Being able to ask someone about what, what this data means and similar high context exchanges are very crucial. Number 11, something Eric said, quoted, is if you have a complicated business, you have complicated data. Really think about that. If you don't have a complicated business, Data mesh probably isn't for you, at least right now. Number 12, if your mesh data products don't maintain loose coupling, your data mesh implementation is probably headed for troubled territory. This loose cu coupling is one of the key tenets of Jamak's concept of a data product or data quantum to be that architecturally independently deployable unit. Number 13, and finally, input ports are an easily overlooked place to find reuse. Many teams need the same type or style of processing from similar source systems. Having standard input ports can significantly help to reduce the complications around building data product ingest mechanisms. I think this is really important that we're not reinventing the way that we, we handle data. So you're going to have a lot of input ports that should look the same. And so you can just kind of standardize those and make it so that people can just drop those in and, and reuse those. So look to kind of how you actually 
bring data in for processing as a good place for reuse. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Eric Haru here, who is the lead engineer of the data platform at H&M. He, to be clear, he is only representing his own views, perspectives, opinions. Um, but we've got like a really interesting set of, of conversation topics that we're going to hit on. You know, one is like, there's so many people that are kind of in this, how do we get mo going? How do we get moving? You know, that, that Newton's law, or I don't know if it's a second or third or whatever, but things that stay at rest tend to stay at rest. <laughs> so how do we get that, that first movement forward? And then, you know, a lot around organizational change. Should you do all of your organizational change up front? I think everyone kind of says no, but like figuring out the what and the when, um, you know, what are you actually doing with the platform or what, what's Eric doing with the platform that's going to be, I think, very uh, interesting to hear about. So uh, with that kind of as the background, Eric, if you don't mind, could you give people um, a little bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can jump into the topic at hand? Yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Eric. I'm currently at H&M. I've been there for almost 10 years. I've been in, in data, data warehousing, data architecture for a bit over 20 years, actually. Um, but for the last year, I've been a lead engineer, uh, one or two lead engineers, actually, for a team who's building an enabler platform framework for, uh, for, for the bigger organization to be able to start working according to data mesh principles. And... Um, yeah, that's that's my current role. I really like what you just said there about even before you said platform, you said the word enabler, right? Like I think that, that you know, you said enabler and platform framework. Like I think that's a really important thing um, that we're going to talk about uh, throughout the, the conversation. But let's talk about how you, you know, H&M started to look at data mesh and how you started to realize you were ready to move forward because so many people are like, how many boxes do I have to tick? Like, how much do I have to do before I know I'm ready? And and people are, are looking for kind of this sign from on high that they are ready to implement, that you're ready to start your journey versus just getting going. So we'd love to hear that that story. Yeah, it's... Uh, we. Actually, we had perfect timing when with when data mesh started to become a a buzzword. People started to talk about it in uh, about three years ago, I guess. Um, at that time, we were in the middle of uh, reorganizing the business development and IT into what we call business tech, which is a strongly product centric, influenced influenced way of operating um, from a classic business. IT delivery that we had before that. Um, and what we realized was that 
all these new teams, maybe a couple of hundred teams in, in the end, uh, they would be, of course, more or less data savvy. And, and pretty soon, a lot of them would be very data intense in various ways. Um, and we saw that the practices that had led us successfully up to that point from the data department couldn't quite scale to the way of operating in the product-centric modern way. So, and then that, there was data mesh ideas just aligning with that, the, the domain responsibility, the product data as a product or product as data. Um, it just fits with the same thoughts. So we thought this is this is something we need to embark on. And, and we realized already back then that the whole idea of uh, self-service and making it possible for, for all these teams who, who will both consume data, navigate through data, and, and also supply data to themselves and to others, uh, they will need stronger self-service capabilities, uh, scalable and shareable ways of working. Um, so, so already we're very inspired by the data mesh ideas. And uh, we had efforts already back then, but the new generation of things we, we have been working for the last years is uh, very centric around the, those concepts. Yeah, it's, it's funny how many conversations about data mesh or, or some people say, you know, none of this was new. And it's like, eh, it's, it's more about putting it into coherent framing and that putting it all together at once in, and that, okay, this is the interplay between a lot of these, you know, different aspects so that you're not running well ahead with the platform. And then, you know, okay, we've got this self-service platform, but the teams that are creating the data products aren't owning them, <laughs> you know, that it, it all is, is kind of about moving, moving forward. So, um, you know, there's always, when you're in these kind of transition periods, there is always that sense of, okay, when have we leveled up enough to move forward? What, what were some signals there? What are some signals that you think that you could help other people to think about that they're ready, you know, is it that you had the buy-in from domain teams that they were ready to, you know, start to actually own their data? Did you have some scaffolding built out from the platform side? Was there anything that was kind of the marker? You know, I mean, it's obviously a continuous journey, you know, that's the whole point of the word journey, but like, was there anything where you were like, okay, we're, we're ready to actually click start on this? Yeah. So first, I guess one one uh, key thing is that we had management buy-in. That we had IT and business stakeholders who were really saying that this is this is something we should be betting on. Uh, we we also we all saw that this is the way forward to be able to scale and to build the sort of the data products of the future and the ecosystem of data products. Um, and we also, one critical thing, I think, is to also have buy-in and, and interest, serious interest from, from teams, data teams, uh, data producing teams, uh, data transforming teams, and data consuming teams, to have, have a handful of, of uh, eager pilot teams who, who want to work in this way and, and have the, the, uh, the skills and the resources to be able to, to go as pilot teams and take it take this end to end and and we learn and develop together so so as a platform team 
we're going to have to learn how to to kick in a bunch of doors to 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 get things to work at the, for the first time. Uh, we have to learn how to develop what we need as an MVP um, and, and develop that MVP together with somebody rather than building on speculation and put something nice on the shelf. Um, it's so much harder to hit the target than if you do it together with somebody who's just standing there wanting to get started to do what they do with their data. So, so we had a couple of, of pilots in quite different in nature, which was also good. Um, maybe I, I won't go into to that now, but but it's that's also something we learned a lot from having this one team who's sort of very mature in terms of data production, being already being a domain data team, producing data and, and serving it to others, while others were more of a sort of creating data transformation, pull something from a system, transform it and serve a data product, which is made not quite data mesh, but it's it's interesting because it's the it's a transition state from a lot for a lot of companies have this. I mean that's what the data warehouse teams, data mart teams have been doing for a couple of decades. Pull something, try to understand it, engineer it into a shape that's that is a data product or that is a BI product. Um, they also need to, I mean, we have, it's a huge company with a lot of data solutions, a lot of people, a lot of systems. We'll, we'll need to cater for both the sort of early data mesh kind of product and the kind of teams, but also cater for all these, these business uses and, and products that need to transition into something, keep working, but sort of flow into these modern practices um, uh, and, and to build a platform and practices to serve all of them. Um, it's far more complicated. <laughs> that's that's uh, kind of an understatement of <laughs> far more complicated. <laughs> um, but, but I do think that's important as well that um, when you think about the platform, a, a lot of what I'm hearing is uh, from you and from many others is that you need to have that broad perspective of what could be the use cases. What, what could this look like? You know, if we have a very, very advanced team and we're building our platform to serve that very, very advanced team, is that going to be able to really serve kind of the teams that are getting, <laughs> that are, are getting their capabilities up to, to, to scratch, right? That they're getting, um, they're catching up that aren't as mature and that you you look at it to serve multiple different aspects so that you don't build your platform to any one specific use case. I think that's um, it. You're lucky in that you had so many teams that were willing to do this. A lot of people are having difficulty with that buy in. Um, but but I think that was an important point you made. Yeah, I think that's, that's my, I guess. Um... A strong thing with being is in a company that of this size, we we have we have all this all these uh, all these people working in data and all these data solutions. Um, maybe not all companies have the scale of people and the scale of number of data assets that needs to go into the mesh. So I guess the, the, the bigger you are, the more sense it makes with data mesh, I think. Um, yeah. Cause it has, it certainly has an overhead. Yeah. I think, I think the people who think 
anybody is saying data mesh is a silver bullet or that it's easy or that, you know, oh, it's it's kind of a no brainer to 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 do it. It's like, no, like there is a huge overhead. There's this long transition period. You're never really going to be done because that's the whole point of continuous learning and improvement is that everything's going to continually evolve and and that. Um one thing we talked about in the the pre-conversation as well was the concept of going at your own pace. I know there are a lot of companies that are looking to kind of smash the monolith, right? The data monolith, and they want to take a sledgehammer to it and just go, all you teams now own <laughs> your your data and you have to serve everything. And that, you know, versus the kind of thin slicing and finding the teams that you can work with, but that it's not, hey, okay, we're going to flip the switch and move from one to the other. So would like to, to hear what your philosophy has been around that kind of pacing and, and how do you communicate that? Because oftentimes there are, especially data consumers that want <laughs> to go, 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 because they want their data now. <laughs> they want it in a reliable product format. So how have you been able to set that pace for sustainability and to communicate that that pace is the right approach? I think we have been lucky in that we have such a, such a good platform that's already in place as the predecessor of, of this environment. Um, the cloud data lake we have, it serves the lower number of, of uh, consuming teams it's, uh, that, who are there. Um, so they can get happy enough by pulling data from there, even though it's sort of an earlier generation, both in terms of the data that they can bring in, the way it's organized and the way it's structured. Um, but they can still do the things they need to do in analytics and the ML kind of products. Um, so it has given us room to act, to build things in a proper way, to, to pilot things without having this uh, sort of strong need to deliver for business reasons because there is of course very strong business reasons to get this up and running but we can focus on a couple of pilots to do things right for them uh, but still make it in a generic way so that we open up for for much more teams to to onboard uh, as when we are ready for it uh, but we can still we can serve the bigger organizations through the other platforms. I think that's uh, open opportunity for us. Are you are you thinking about your platform as greenfield or, or brownfield? Like, are you thinking of this as an evolution of what you had already built, or are you thinking about this as we really needed to start from scratch to make sure we didn't um, head down any same paths? Or that's an interesting question. I think. It's almost greenfield. Um, we know so much about the applications we want to do. So in that way, it's uh, it's dangerous territory. It's very easy to find to fall into the trap of building the same thing again because we know all these business cases, they what they need, both in both in the ML space and in the BI reporting space. Uh, we know the data that we can find. So it's really easy to try to uh, let's let's get all this data we know where it is let's get it into the mesh platform which is not really a platform but get let's get it into a mesh um 
and serve it to the people in the business that we need know that that we know need this data. Um, but we're not doing that. So so we're still trying to, from the start, bring data domain kind of product in. And, and uh, even if some, I mentioned our pilot teams, and even if one of, some of them actually pull data from a system rather than being a true data mesh actor, uh, we still try to build the data product in, in the spirit of the data mesh um, so that the, it can later be reorganized. So the, the organization is one thing and the, structure of the data product is another um, so that we can still together figure out how can they build the data product that is in the spirit of the data mesh way of operating. Um, so in that matter, it's it's more greenfield, uh, which also opens up for sort of a greenfield or new way of doing things starting from scratch when it comes to consumption of the data. Um, so those who, as we start to populate this new mesh platform um, those who come early to consume data from there who can find enough content to do what they need to do um, they can start acting as a consumer on a data mesh rather than a consumer on a data warehouse or a data lake with central engineering teams how do you think about that change in um consumption you know somebody might say well i'm uh I'm querying it via SQL either way. Like, I, how is this really any different? Am I just pointing it at different endpoints? Or have you changed that kind of data consumer user experience? Has that been something that you've, you've focused on or have you focused more in your early um, kind of platform-ish days? You know, I know you're, you're looking more towards that enablement than just pure platform, but... Um, have you focused more on the producers or the, the consumers or how would the consumers have a different experience with this? Yeah, we have we have been, to be honest, focused mostly on producers, um, but we have a, a very good community of analysts, really the end users of the data. Uh, I think well, data scientists, analysts, and also ML engineers, software builders who, who are really doing AI kind of software. Um, so we have a lot of conversations conversations with them to uh, to make sure that we have a good a good enough idea of how would a consumption data product look. So so we're expecting to in a later stage to start seeing the the uh, consumer line kind of actor on the mesh as well, who will pick from the buffet of, of uh, served data products from the producing teams. Um, although it, we need to, to have maybe a couple of more, uh, to at least the kind of product that gathers data and information from multiple data products. Actually, one of the, 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 the most mature maybe data product team, they also do serve, not they, they, they arrange and transform the data into a shape that fits the analyst community that they already know they have. Um, so for that case, we have learned how to address the analytic community of users uh, on top of a proper data product. So, so we have the capabilities and ways of working already sort of proven for one case 
but it's a simple case since it's the same team that served the data who's also serving the analyst group. Um, and that's, of course, as, as things scale up and get more complicated, that's not as simple. So it, it sounds like um, what you've been focusing on to start was that you ha- have been working with producers to share kind of the producer aligned, the source aligned data products rather than something that's specific to a consumer use case? Is that the, the right way to think about it, that you've been focused on getting them in the motion of sharing data that is reusable and understandable and that, but it's not as specific to a, a consumer-derived use case? Yeah, uh, that's, that's something we saw as the most critical thing to to test to to make sure that we can build a generalizable generalizable reusable self service able uh, way of working that fits a couple of uh, data producing teams uh, because there's so much infrastructure involved in that connectivity and uh, the pipeline building so that's that's and also of course it, it's critical to get something in before we can start to serve somebody in the other in the other end so that's why we have initially focusing on, on the producing teams i don't recommend this strategy for anybody but I, I have heard a couple of people talk about that they plan to literally completely sunset within the first 6 months their first 10 5 10 data products because what they did was they learned so much about how to actually serve their data that they would, you know, and they'll work with the the consumers of that too, but they want to completely relate, replace those so that those early data products aren't a source of tech debt and that you don't have to try and like slowly evolve it <laughs> and keep to your early affordances. Um, I don't necessarily, you know, I don't recommend that, but I think it's an interesting concept because what you just said is is something that I think I'm hearing from a lot of people that surprises a, a lot more people is we're really focused on building the muscle and building like to do this so we can do this at scale. And then we're going to be doing more to specific use cases. But once we've learned how to do this, we can very easily onboard, well, shouldn't say very easily, but much more easily, much lower friction onboard new data sources, create these consumer aligned data products that if we focus on that versus trying to deliver a ton of value from every single incremental data product, then those data products can become a, a source of technical debt and that because um, we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. So it's, it's an interesting concept. Again, I don't recommend people necessarily throw them out just to throw them out, but that there's there's a concept of like, hey, consumers, we get that you've been consuming this, but we want to evolve you to something new. We still want to serve your needs, but like the ability to say this thing isn't isn't meeting the the organization's me- needs is is interesting and new in data. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, some companies that might work as a strategy, I think uh, the things we have in place in all the other platforms, it's it's too, too critical to just shut it down. Um, but I think a good, a good strategy would probably be to sort of iterate depth and breadth. 
So sometimes we just try to, I'm not saying that's really how we do, but um, I mean, obviously we started to get a, a handful of, of producing teams in just to learn from a number of different patterns, patterns and, and get a couple of products in. Um, but it's just as valuable then maybe to to really, as an alternative to that after a while, to, uh, to get the really quality end-to-end use case in place. Let's say, okay, we, we know we can repeat patterns, reuse components without pain. Uh, we've seen that working. Now, before we go to the global scale of things and to bring everything in, uh, let's take it from the other direction. Let's, let's uh, make sure there is a need on the BI or the data user perspective. What do we need to have in place? What, ne- what data do needs to get in? What's, what's a proper, nice data product that we need to have? Um, and what are other things need to be in place for them to be able to actually get their needs fulfilled entirely from this new way of operating? Um, so you can build quality in, in various directions by expanding in that way. Yeah, I, I think you're in an enviable position because uh, your consumers already seem like they're relatively happy with how they're they're consuming from the lake or the warehouse. So it's not that it's uh, you know in a lot of places it's it's that people are very very unhappy and so they want to move to consuming from the mesh as soon as possible versus like okay we've got the time to figure out how to do this right like we want to make sure that we build this in such a way that that's going to be um, good and sustainable for us in the long term. I, I think that transitions well into that, you know, you you still are, the team's name is still platform team, but you're really thinking about it not as the platform. It's about building those enablers and those reusable pieces. So would love to hear how you're identifying and finding, you know, teasing out those reusable patterns and reusable frameworks or, or like what, what are you focused on? Is it that you've already got the ability to do the data transformations at scale in place? And so you already have that platform to build off of and that you can focus on the reusability and enablement or? Yeah, it's, uh, I've already said platform too many times. Um, as. <laughs> We said that internally as well, that we, we had actually a platform in our team product name in the beginning, but we, we changed name because we, we didn't we realized that we're not building a platform. I mean, it's, it's the cloud provider that's serving the platform. Um, we are, uh, we're serving reusable infrastructure and components and, and uh, patents. We have code. We supply modules. Um, we're, we're trying to, Focus on that we deliver the framework and the components uh, to all these actors so that they can deploy and operate and maintain the things. We, we take responsibility of the code uh, and patches and, and the improvements, but they we scale out. That's also a scale reason for this, that uh, we don't want to become a bottleneck as any central team come at some point so so we try to decentralize as much as possible but we also want to decentralize in a consistent way so so we serve the uh, when we we serve the modules so here's our catalog pick what you need we recommend the these typical patterns to to set up your pipelines and your consumptions um, and there are 
certain guardrails, of course, that this this is how you should use this, the components. This is how you should design a data product. And obviously, a lot to learn there. I mean, we've been around for slightly less than a year. Um, but it's, I mean, you, you, you said enabler, and that's really something we, we try to, to say more often than, than platform. Framework and enabler. That's what we are serving. Yeah, and, and you did say something in there that I wanted to clarify, which was that you own the code. Is that you own the code for the enablement piece, or you're, or are you owning the code? Like, I'm assuming that the teams are owning the code of what develops their data product. Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we own the code of the because we have along the pipeline, the, the dif- different patterns we support currently with the framework that we have put in place on top of the cloud. Um, we have built a number of modules, not not a large number, but a small set of, num- of modules that we have built with, with code and, and uh, CICD and deployment scripts. Uh, and that's code that we take responsibility for to all the users of them, um, and they shouldn't have to to sort of get involved too much in that code. We we want to give them a a very user friendly experience uh, in terms of, of using the pipeline modules. But when it comes to data transformation code, and that's entirely the responsibility of the data teams using the framework, using the the platform. Yeah, I, I, that all makes sense, and I think. Uh, you're you're hitting on where a lot of people want to get to, but they're not at the the kind of starting point that you were. So I think you'll have uh, some people that are a little bit green with envy listening to kind of where you were and and that you've got the time and um, non urgency to rush forward. It's I think you're setting yourself up to have this be a very sustainable thing that you're, you're doing it right the first way uh, or the first time around. Um, one question that I have around a lot of this is um, you talked a little bit about you were going through some organizational changes. Data mesh obviously requires kind of a change to the way most organizations think. It's also a change for the way a lot of organizations are like actually organized into teams and things like that. So would love to hear what you've done around that change. Like when did that change come in? Is it that you're, you're kind of doing slower change? Did you set the teams up ahead of time? You know, you decentralize the, the teams into the domains ahead of time or the kind of, what changes and when is something that a lot of people are really interested to hear more about when people have been successful. And if you've got any anti-patterns, some things that didn't work, people want those as well to avoid uh, any issues that they that might be uh, kind of a pattern anti or a common anti-pattern as well. Yeah, I think as as people have realized everywhere now, it's the data mesh is is mostly an organizational effort, much more than it is than, than what it is a te- technical effort. Um, no, that's not to say that there is not also lots of hard technical work to enable it, um, but the organizational change really needs to happen before we can have any real 
kind of domain data products in, in a data mesh way of operating. Um, so that change happened for other reasons. I mean, we have seen many big companies. I think we are all inspired by Spotify who are sort of early, early on the product-centric game of, of organizing. Um, very inspirational for us too. Um, and, and we saw us as responsible for, for the modern data practices that uh, this will impact what's going to happen on the data side and the way of observing IT delivered data solutions to teams um, wasn't going to be the way to serve data capabilities for these teams in, in this way of operating um, but I think to have the, have the sort of get the movement going in the organization to think in a product-centric way has to happen before, where there is an, an, a value in starting to do tech efforts in data mesh. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and so it sounds like your, you know, uh, H&M was already reorganizing into the way that you would have organized if you were just uh, adopting data mesh anyway. And so there wasn't a whole lot of um, extra change is that that's what I, I'm I'm kind of surmising from it, but is I don't want to you know say that if that's not at all true. So just I, I want to kind of confirm that. Yeah, um, that's that's really the case. I think um, it answered a lot of the questions that we started to to have when when we saw the product centric movement coming. So so it, it was really we didn't go into this to serve a data mesh. It was the other way around. We we liked ideas from data mesh because it really f- fit to all the uh, all the questions we had. Yeah, I, and and I think that's a common refrain of again that people um, have saw it and said, "Oh, we've tried a lot of the different aspects of, of these different things," or we would have went for certain aspects of it, but putting it all together into one cohesive thing and that there's um common like language around it right that you've got your ubiquitous language around your approach to what you're looking to do that it's not somebody trying to um you know talk about their one approach and somebody else kind of misunderstands it and all that stuff that it's it's really helped a lot of people in that but it's it's interesting that you were already kind of doing the organizational change so you you didn't need to drive that by <laughs> that you were going to change further yeah no absolutely and and that's something you realize from when working in it that it's uh it's very hard to get an organizational or a, a business operations change to happen even if you see for from a technology's point of view this is how things should work um, it doesn't matter if we build tech to enable that if the movement isn't happening also on the business side. So, so it is it is business first, uh, and the closer we are from the tech side to the business, of course, uh, the better it is. And and this is something. This is a the, the all of these ideas is something that brings us closer business and, and tech. I want to circle back to something you said kind of early in the conversation as well about 
the executive buy-in. Um, was it that you found that there wasn't a lot of resistance? A, a lot of people are finding resistance when they're, they're talking about executive buy-in, especially business partners. Why should I participate in this? Why should I do this? Was it that the, the company strategy was already headed in this way and that it, it, that buy-in wasn't that hard to kind of overcome and win them over? Or um, would love to kind of hear what your, your thoughts were around that. You know, maybe you weren't directly involved in all the conversations, but like there, there's so many people that are struggling with um, the, how do I actually incentivize domains to share their data? Yeah, so we had, I think the reason we had such such a good buy-in on this is uh, we have had several years up until this point, we've had good, a good track record in, in, on the, for the investments on the, what, what's called the AI. Uh, I mean, we've, it has been quite visible for what, we, what HNL has done um, in, in, under the umbrella of AI in terms of, sort of business optimizations, um, new ways of operating with these technologies. And so everyone was, was aware that these tools and the data is critical to enable this way of doing things. Um, and we also, as well, I mean, there was a number of efforts that had been done so far and to be able to scale and do wider efforts. Everyone was aware that uh, we need, of course, further investments in, in getting data in a good shape, faster um, for that. So, so that was a good position to, to get the, the management buy-in on doing this, the data mesh approach. Yeah. Again, I think you're going to have people that are green with envy <laughs> about uh, kind of where, where you were in that. Um, so would love to uh, talk a, a little bit about as well that when you're talking about scaling to a wider audience, obviously some people aren't, some domains aren't mature enough, aren't ready enough to just jump right into AI. You know, same thing with data mesh and, and really cert, treating their data as a product and things like that. So would love to, to hear a little bit about what H&M is doing on that kind of education side as well. The, the data literacy and, and making sure people are aware and capable and kind of starting to get ready for this and not necessarily like throwing them in the deep end, but like how have you worked with them to, to get them ready and, and moving on, on things like that? Yeah, that's really been a pretty difficult transition from the classic data warehousing way of working. I mean, everyone was happy in, in, with with the literacy in one way with, with the old approach because you knew you knew it was controlled. Everything in data, both serving the data and and using the data, building reports, building dashboards, uh, that was all done by people from the teams who really had the knowledge and was a sort of quality quality assured since it came from the, the tech teams. Um, but when you open up the Pandora's box and start to share this data, even when you start to share the data warehouse data from the classic data warehouse, it's easy to 
misuse that data too. And, and as a relatively data savvy and a very enthusiastic like a business controller or a data analyst who's starting to do good things, often often right, but then you start to guess things and things go wrong. You get to the wrong results. Um, that can be risky because they can do make big big decisions on the wrong on the wrong uh, insights. Um, so so to start to serve, I mean, they, the data mesh has maybe be better support with that since you have the domain responsibility. You, you know who to talk to when you want to use a certain data resource. Uh, and also that data resource is maybe better engineered for that kind of company-wide use rather than being designed for other developers in the data space. Um, so there's hopefully less risk to do the kind of mistakes when you start to pick things from, from the buffet of data mesh products rather than when you start to mix things from a data warehouse or a, a couple of data warehouses. It's even riskier, of course. Um, so I think to, so to manage these years of advanced and widespread data use after the reporting days, um, we've had to, to do uh, quite a bit of data literacy efforts. And we, both from the tech side and from the business side, people have been, there. there's a lot of business analyst people who are really hungry to, to learn and to, to figure out how to do things well and to, to share the knowledge. Um, so I think the, it's both a, centralized literary effort and it's it's a community thing if you have a good data user community they can educate their peers as well as long as as is necessary when you have a sort of diverse data landscape it's funny because you are not the first person i kind of hate the concept of self-serve when it comes to consumers Right, like producers, you want them to be able to not not have to come to you if they don't need to, and that you're there as a backstop to help them. But a lot of people have kind of said similar things about with self serve, you can get yourself in trouble if you don't know what what's really there, and so that's where you need to really focus on the documentation and that there is a pathway to ask those questions because you can put yourself in a precarious situation and and that or, or that you have five people who are asked the same question and all five compute it in different ways and that there's not like a specific way that the domain thinks about this is the way that that we really think about that answering that question you know how many customers do you have it's this fun uh co- question that you have for pretty much anybody in the B2B space, especially, how many customers? Because it's like, is it active customer? Is it, you know, active uh, across multiple different product lines? Are you double counting across the different product lines? Is it, you know, all of the, is it on the license or the subscription or is it consulting or is it, you know, all of these fun, you know, different nuances as to, well, what do you mean by customer? I think, uh, it's important to say those types of things, those anti-patterns about we we could be setting ourselves up for bad situations if we make it a free-for-all instead of like 
that they're like East Oldfield in his episode, he he talked about that we can't just make it so people have access to data. They have to have access to information and insights and understanding as well, right? And that's not just throwing the metadata with it. It's like having the empathy for the user to say, like, here's what we think is going to be helpful, or here's what might be useful, or, hey, we recorded three different lunch and learns about this data product. Like, watch the videos. Here, here's the link in the catalog that it's not just like, how is this created from a, a SQL statement so that you can lower that bar and people can use those insights, but that it's not that that you you know you blunt some of the sharp edges, the potential sharp edges, or you know you've you've got uh, uh, kids, so like uh, you you kind of have to put the foam wrapping around certain <laughs> things, you know, so that they don't uh, run into it as they're learning to to move around and do those those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some of the things you said, it, it, that's practices that we've seen work well in during these years of, of sort of combining data by a lot of users. Um, both the kind of sort of data log, data catalog kind of thing that even a data lake can have a data catalog. Uh, maybe you can distribute the responsibility of it in the same way as data mesh can do, uh, but it's still critical to, to have at least some some brief explanation of everything in there. It, it really helps the the consumer community, um, and to have teams who are even if they are not data producers, to have if you are the company that's large enough, maybe you you can have the resources to have people who are actually responsible for sort of a gravity gravity center for skill domain like skill that's something think we we did in early days of data lake um it was really a small small team but we had background all of us had background in the data warehouse and bi space of the same company um and we can serve the the grown fast growing community of ai and ml and data scientists technologists uh, with with insights in this data to get them started um, with various resources just being there having us as our job for a while to just be there for them and to ask questions or find data that wasn't in the data lake we knew possibly we knew where to find it where to go um, but also as you say serve snippets of code um, documentation to show people how to actually use that data, even if it's in 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 a early data lake world or transitions situation where you have a mix of old and new ways of operating with data, um, to be able to guide people with again repeatable patterns, re repeatable things like documentation, like wiki spaces. Um, this is how we can use the data. You can even have these queries to do these typical things, these typical cases of reusing this data that can really help the community to get started. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. I've been talking a little bit about 
is there a role for a data concierge? You know, I, I had uh, an episode with Olesen um, Bagnu, and he talked about um, in the library and information science space, the librarians are, are becoming more and more behind the scenes, right? That they're, they're not having nearly as much kind of one-to-one personal interaction with people. Um, is that where we really should head with data or should we have kind of some concierge type service to help people, whether that's the onboarding concierge or whether that's even like, hey, I'm really trying to combine, you know, a data scientist that's really trying to do something very complex of, I really want to find information from the, on these like seven topics that I'm trying to combine together. Can you help me to really look through what we've got? And that, that, is that going to be a role? I don't think many or really possibly any companies are going to do that, but it could be really useful. I'm, I'm finding this as kind of the way a lot of people are doing literacy is that there, there's kind of a centralized person that's there to help people to find the resources that they need to get more literate. Is that something that we want to do on the data side? Because we're, we're becoming what I'm seeing is people want to have the data catalog do all of the things. And we can't share all of our context around something, no matter what, we can't share that. We have to be available to answer those questions. Maybe it's better to not try and have it be 99% is served by the data catalog and it's 1% of the question asking, that it goes to 90% and that if somebody's going deeper than that, there should be a high context exchange conversation that we actually force more conversations in that. I have no idea if that's if that's a good idea or a terrible idea, but would lo- love to kind of hear your, your thoughts as to what you've learned from doing this for, for so many years. Yeah, I think the, the community and the all the data specialists or data, data professionals uh, we're all putting a lot of hope in in the data catalog, um, but as as you in, as you say, I, th- I don't think the data catalog can answer all these questions. Uh, it's going to be a, a very important place to discover and to to find the right asset and the quality of it, uh, and the team behind. I think still the team behind is going to be important to have these conversations. They are the experts of their of their assets. Um, and at least for those who are new in using that asset, we're, we're going to need to have human conversations to, to get advanced users started with with a complicated data resource. I, I think that's that's not something we can get away from. And I mean, having conversations is, is nice. Meeting the, the colleagues of the company and chat about the things you do, and it's good for both parties. I mean, for for the team and the people who do who do the data product, they will also learn about the the consumption from it. If they get a lot of strange questions about certain aspects of their product, maybe that's something they need to to consider re-engineering. It seems people have a hard time figuring out how to do this. It happens all the time because that's what they ask. Uh, so let's think about how to adapt our product to not get that question all the time. Um, so make make the team visible 
and a ritual. For example, from the catalog, I think that's that's something we're going to have to do. Um, and as as for the data concierge, I think even more important conversation is going to be to when doing this navigation through cross the mesh, cross product, when there's not only one team to contact, to contact when you do, to, I mean, there's a lot of modeling discussions going on now in, in the like LinkedIn and, and other places, um, how to model, the, actually model the data in the data mesh. Um, we, I mean, in the data warehouse, the industry standard is there, but what's the actual industry standard of the technical, physical model of a data product in the data mesh? Um, not as crisp and clear, maybe. So, for for the data concierge to to help people to to figure out how to, I mean, the model should be helping them to be able to set up serve just as a, a sort of consistent data model can do. If you know the patterns, you know how to join things, you know how to combine data, uh, but still. I think there's going to be value in, in somebody who can guide people in the mesh because it's going to be a complicated place. If you have a complicated business, the data needs to represent that. And uh, there's no dodging that. And that's something that the community, the data community can have a lot of help from. Yeah, I, I think that last point is really crucial. And if you don't have a complicated business, you shouldn't be doing data mesh. I'm just going to say that flat out. If you don't have the need for it, there's that overhead you talked about. Don't do it. And so I think if you have a complicated you know, business, you're going to have complicated data and you do need that way to navigate that in, in such a way. And, you know, do we have like the, the point of data meshes of having these, you know, architectural quantums and all that stuff is that we've had our data, the way we've dealt with data has been too tightly coupled. When we think about the data warehouse space, you know, any change is so painful. We need to be able to evolve, but we can't do kind of evolution for the sake of evolution. We can't do ultra fast evolution if that's going to throw off what our consumers are actually consuming. You know, we can add to a data product, but you can't just all of a sudden change anything. And even with versioning, you don't want to be creating a new version every week. So your data consumers are constantly having to uh, re-architect the way that they consume from you. So we haven't figured that out. We, I think this is something that, that a lot of people outside of the data mesh space are like, this is our gotcha. It's like, we haven't figured out how to do this. And it's like, correct. We haven't, <laughs> right? Like we need people in the industry to really have these conversations very often with each other and then share everybody, please. This is part of the community aspect. Please do share what you're learning, but that we can start to find, should we use the, the CIM, the cloud information model? Should that be how we kind of have our standard schemas or should we provide kind of three standard schemas for our um, internal use cases? So it would be kind of like having three almost kind of distributed data warehouses and that will cover 90% of our use cases. And we'll know that there's at least interoperability if somebody's using schema type A versus schema type B versus schema type C. And then we start to figure out how we would combine data between them. 
We don't know. I, I, I have no idea. I haven't talked to anybody who said, we've got this nailed, we've got this figured out. So like, we, we do need to have these conversations and be open about them. That This is still a very open question. And if we can't do this, we're headed for data silos. Yes, very high quality data silos, but data silos is not <laughs> where we need to go with this. We need to figure out how to do this at enterprise scale and not only do point to point integrations between data product A and data product B. We need to have an easy way to consume data from multiple data products in, in a cross data product query. Yeah, yeah, and, and have them. We can't have the same kind of dependency, operational dependency, as you can be allowed to have in a data warehouse. You, you can know that as table A needs to be loaded before a table B because they, there's, it's a, there's a key there. Um, you can't force that from actors on a data mesh. Um, so you need to be loosely coupled in, in physical and model perspectives of things. Um, and I think I think also the kind of users you you see today uh, versus on a data warehouse scenario, it's so diverse. So the, so the model needs to serve much more ways of consuming the data. We have on top of all the BI use cases, which we know very well. Um, there's also all the ML use cases, the data science use cases, and and things like immutability is super important for those users. It hasn't been that interesting for, for the BI scenario. I mean, you had all the slowly changing dimensions for those who, who cases where it was important to be able to represent how things looked back, but it's not the same thing really as immutability for, for ML training and, and reproducibility. And those kinds of things, they have to go into the data products as well as a standard throughout the data mesh. Otherwise you will have these shadow copies of parts of the data mesh where people in the ML space think, yeah, we need to copy this whole asset to be able to have it immutable for our purposes. And then you get all these duplications. Maybe that's a reasonably good pattern. I don't know. Something we'll have to learn as a community. Um, I hope we don't have to copy and replicate assets at scale, uh, there should be better ways, better patterns to, to serve those kinds of scenarios. Yeah. Emily Gorsinski at ThoughtWorks in an early webinar, like maybe from June or July of last year, talked about what they saw was a 10 to 100x reduction in, um, in the number of copies stored when they started moving towards data mesh because people knew what data was going to be there and that they didn't have to make a copy because it was still going to be there and it would have even the new information the next time they went to it that they they could do that and that it wasn't um that that people were like i'm working with my local copy um you know you still kind of can have that that um sandbox type approach but if you've got the right ways of doing the platform it's tracked what you've done in your sandbox then you can say, okay, I want to actually redo this. So I'm going to click the button and it's going to become my model for my query model of, okay, this was actually good. Like I want to, I want to do this. It's, it's an interesting concept. Um, so, uh, well, you, you 
this has been a, a phenomenal hour that we've we've spent together. Um, if you were to have any advice for people on like what they should actually look for in reusability, I, I keep hearing this reusability come up. But can you give people a couple of like very specific? things to look for for reusability that they want to keep an eye out for and then figure out how they replicate those. Because I, I don't know if that's um, a data model, if that's a, um, a standard schema, if that's a standard set of SLAs, or like what what is it that you're finding that is lowering the friction when you find things that are reusable? Yeah, you said you said schema. That's uh, I think it's an enabler of a lot of other reusability. If if you have proper schema handling in your landscape, or at least in the part of the landscape where the data mesh tool set is acting, uh, that's a, that's really important to make sure that you you find how to work with that um, in your landscape at your company, um, and then sort of. I, I like the concept of input ports. Sort of, where do the, the where where is the starting point of the tech enabler? The in our case, the framework. Um, you can maybe say require that if you are at this data loading dock, you are at this point with your data as as a data producing team. Then we have pattern A to F. You you can onboard your data. In, through all these doors um, and all these doors behind them are reusable components that only needs a little bit of configuration and then you can basically self-service deploy them to get your data in um, if you need to, to open another door to this reusable pipeline um, then we need to collaborate on what new connectivity has to be added um, which can also be, of course, done in a way that aligns to certain patterns and interfaces, classic software development. But I think trying to figure out what is our landscape's most important doors to have um, going forward. Maybe there are some legacy data ports that you really don't want to invest in rebuilding for your mesh. You could maybe do some temporary solutions to, to just get that data in. Uh, or or just have some sort of gateway to get it into one of the proper ports as a temporary solution or a transitional solution before they also come into the modern landscape. Um, so, so it's a landscape thing to figure out how to build your re the re reusable components, I think. Yeah, I hadn't thought about input ports, that, but that makes a lot of sense and that you have kind of even standard transition types of, okay, um, this is like, we've got the code to transition this from string to, you know, uh, number or integer or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Like the, that you can have like little things that you just go, okay, apply to this. Or um, Adidas had an interesting thing where for reusable governance, they automatically by default mark as, at least as far as I could understand from their, their, uh, blog posts, they automatically mark every single column as PII because then the data the data product owner is comfortable that they're, they're not going to let any PII slip through so that they're more comfortable sharing more information 
because they know that they're not going to make a mistake with that because they have to intentionally unclick <laughs> that this is PII. And so it makes it so that there is a lot more um, just even safety feeling yeah. and things like that. that I think we'll find reuse in the way we talk to each other and the way that we kind of provide safety nets for each other as well. Yeah, that's, that's actually sort of opt, opt out instead of opt in in terms of PII or uh, sensitive flags. That's, uh, that's an interesting approach. I mean, for those who are in, in the data space of something that's even related to customers, maybe that's not such a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was, it was just one thing where I read it and I went, huh, that would give me a lot more. I've talked about, you know, data on the inside, data on the outside. What about data on the threshold? Well, that's mm. data that, 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 you know, the domain owners didn't want to share because they're like, should we share this? Cause it's, it's sensitive or should we share this? Cause we don't know if it's going to be useful. And I think data mesh gives us the opportunity to kind of poke at both in, in a more safe way, a more scalably safe way as well. Um, and that it's not, you know, every single time somebody wants access to this information, you're like, what, you know, does the centralized team understand what the data actually is? What's the consumer actually trying to do? Okay, let's, let's actually just cut out the middleman and have those two talk. And, um, you know, Sarita Baxt at JP Morgan Chase talked about that because they're having direct conversations with the consumers, the producers are willing to say, okay, for your use case, we're going to add this additional information, but it's sensitive. So I need you to sign, you know, digitally sign or whatever your contract, that this is how you're going to use it. Because if you use it in another way, I could get in trouble with regulators. But if you're going to use it the way you've told me, yeah, I'm comfortable enough that, that I can open up this additional amount of information for you. And I thought, I thought that was just a really interesting insight that's come from, from the conversations I'm having. Yeah, so that's the whole compliance GDPR capabilities. That's or something that has to be there pretty early to be able to, once you get your speed up. Yeah, I think, I think it's, um, and there's some interesting approaches that are going on with that as well, especially GDPR. Eric, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for spending so much time with me, uh, especially it's, I know it's, it's relatively late for you <laughs> at night, so I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you think is important for, for people to know, whether about H&M's journey specifically or just in general about data mesh or any way you want to kind of wrap up the, the conversation in general? Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, a lot of lot of interesting topics. Um, also, talking to you has, has talked to a lot of people who are in data mesh. That's really really useful for for us too, to be to have these conversations. Um, when it comes to H and M, I mean, we are hiring as as most people in the data space are. <laughs> so. Uh, do look us up at what we do on, on LinkedIn. There's plenty of positions in the data space, um, both for, for the teams where I am and, and, the, and the other perspectives of data. Okay. And uh, if 
if people do want to follow up with you, um, where's the best place to do that? And do you have, you know, we'll drop the jobs, the careers page in the show notes as well. But is there um, anything else that if people have certain specific questions or anything you, you covered today that you really want to chat with more people? about? Yeah, um, I think my, my best channel at the moment would be LinkedIn. Um, and I think the, the topic of modeling and data consumption in the data mesh, that's something I, I would enjoy seeing success stories from what has, what has worked and, and what was the state of state of the business there. So, so if you have thoughts on, on those topics, please do reach out. I'd, I'd, leave, I'd love to have a conversation see what people like. Yeah, I, I, that's been something that's really been a hot topic this week, especially. I've seen like four or five different posts or, or in the last yeah. week and a half or so. So, um, But well, again, Eric, thank you so much for uh, spending the time with me today. And thank you, everyone, as well for listening. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guest, Eric Haro, the lead engineer of the data platform at H&M. You can find a link to his LinkedIn as per usual in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.